0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We come in this series of sermons through the book of Hebrews to chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. So Hebrews 10, verses 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We are all known in one way or another by our attachments, our attachments to people, our attachments to place, and many other things. So you might think of being known by your attachment to your family, you bear the name or the place that you're from, and the community in which you you grew up. You might think of your attachments to your calling, and the way in which that identifies something uh, about you. And it could be, of course, a whole host of other interests. Some will say, well, that person is a is a history buff, and they are always you know reading history. There's an attachment, a love for. Uh, the study of history, and many other examples uh, could be multiplied, but the Christian is also defined by his or her attachments, and chiefly defined by our attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian is one who is brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the exercise of faith, and this is a permanent union. It is indissolvable union. It is a union that transcends even time and endures for all of eternity, and it is our attachment to him that is most conspicuous with regards to all that we are and all that we do and think, all that we love, all that we, we pursue. You'll know from last week and perhaps the week before that we've come in our study of Hebrews to the second part of the book. This is Uh, the part of Hebrews that is devoted chiefly to the application of the doctrines that we have heard expounded over all of the previous chapters. And so the emphasis falls on exhortation. It is horatory, if you will. It is a call to to respond in our hearts as well as in our lives to the glory and supremacy of Jesus Christ, and to do so uh, by faith, the exercise of faith, and perseverance in the order that God has has given to us. And so we are looking at this section here in verses 23 and 24. You'll note if you connect it with verse 22, you have really three responsibilities that are set before us, each of which begin with the words, let us. So first of all, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And verse 24, let us Consider one another. We looked with the Lord's help, not last Lord's Day, but the Sabbath before, at um, that first, let us draw near with a true heart. And this morning we turn our attention uh, to the second two. And we noted previously that here we have a reference to faith, hope, and love in each of these, right? There's a reference to faith in the first one, hope, and the second, love, in uh, the third one. And so in verse 22, we were told, let us draw near. We're to be drawing near to the Lord. We have this open entrance that the Lord has flung wide open for his people in the gospel. And he bids us to come, to come through the door, to come ultimately to him and to abide with him in the fellowship that he has secured for us. And so that, that call in verse 22, let us draw near, itself underlines this notion of, Of attachment to Christ. We're to be coming to him, we're to be near him, we're to be dwelling with him, we're to be attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. And flowing from that come the two exhortations that follow. Because of attachment to Christ, we have an attachment to truth, to Christ's truth, and we have an attachment to Christ's people. And so we're going to consider those two things uh, this morning with the Lord's help. First of all, attachment to Christ's truth. Attachment to Christ's truth. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And so here we are to persevere in clinging to this profession of our hope. Now we've seen this laid out already. You'll note uh, previously. I'll give you some examples. If you go all the way back to chapter two, and verse thirteen, uh, he he speaks of us um, putting our trust in him. Right. So it says, "And I will put my trust in him." This is an ongoing thing, a future and a present thing. Behold, I and the children that God hath given me. You see in, in chapter 3 the, call, the exhortations to not harden uh, our hearts, but rather we are to be, in verse 6, holding fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The, uh, the Lord calls us in chapter uh, 6, really, from chapter 3, verse 4, all the way through chapter 4, uh, verse 12, we have kind of an unfolding repetition of that theme of holding fast. And then it, it emerges again in chapter, at the end of chapter five, where we are to be those who are mature, those who are able to eat strong meat. We are to be holding fast to the truth that the Lord has given to us. And that takes us all the way into chapter six, verse 20, really, the end of chapter six, that call to persevere in faith. And you can think of, when you think of faith, we we use the word, the Bible uses the word in two different ways. So faith can refer to something that is inward, and faith can refer, refer to something that is external. So something internal and something external. So when we use it in the first instance, we're speaking about the virtue of faith. You know, that person has faith in Christ, or faith in God's word. They're exercising faith. They're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on his promises, and so on. But then the Bible also refers to, uses the word faith in reference to something external, to a body of doctrine. So you think of Jude chapter, uh, Jude verse three, we are to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And there it's referring to apostolic doctrine to the christian faith we we have a westminster confession of faith right it's referring to a summary of the the body of doctrine or truth that the lord has provided for us in the inspired scriptures in his in his holy word and so here we're being told to hold fast to this profession or it could be translated confession of our hope this these truths that the lord has given to us and in a sense, the two uses of faith are combined, kind of behind this passage. We're to be believing and persevering in our believing of all of the truth that God has given to us. And what it is that we are believing is the truth, the scriptures that have been provided for us. And this really is a theme for the remainder of the book of Hebrews. And so he speaks of, holding fast, the profession of our Faith, the profession of our faith. right There are many, many, many people that claim to be a Christian, many who would go under the label, under the name of, of a Christian. But here he's speaking to the true believer. He's speaking to the one who actually has laid hold of the truth as it is in Jesus. the one who not only has familiarity with the language of the gospel, but who enjoys the experience and power of that gospel in their own soul. And so the profession of our faith is really the true claim to be a sincere Christian, one who has renounced the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? This profession or confession of faith is a renouncing of our own wisdom and our own righteousness and even our own will so that our will is subjected to his, and instead it is one who owns the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, as their Lord, as their King, as their prophet, priest, and King, taking Christ as their all and all. This is the profession of of their faith, that they hate sin and love holiness, that they have laid down their weapons against God, and they have raised up the weapons that god provides against the devil and against sin those who have this profession uh, of faith are those who who have heard the words of christ to deny oneself to take up their cross and to follow the lord jesus christ and and like caleb desire to follow him fully by the grace that he he gives to us it means that they love everything that comes from christ they love the whole of god's word there's no part that they would be without there is no doctrine no principle no exhortation no application that they would excise from this this word of god we love the law of god love the sabbath day love all that belongs to the lord jesus christ all that flows from the lord jesus christ Those who have this profession of faith are those who have a sincerely grounded hope of heaven, who are living for another world, not living for the the, the ash heap of this world, which will be burned in due course, but living for what will last forever, for what matters most, for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the advance of his kingdom, for the hope and reward of that inheritance that he has laid up for his, his people, and who love to have it so. Who would not, if they could, change a thing in the order that God has given. Holding fast this profession of faith. Holding fast to it. Holding fast is clinging to it. It is continuing in it. It is pressing to maintain it. This is not something, children, when it says hold fast, you think to yourself, when I'm on the merry-go-round, I have to hold fast. So I don't get flung off or when I'm on the swing set, I have to hold onto the chains so I don't fall off the backside of the swing right here. When it says hold fast, this is not something you do with your hands, right? It's speaking about something that you do with your soul, ultimately with your heart of hearts. It's not even just holding fast with your mind. It includes that. So you're to be holding fast the affirmation, knowledge of the truth and receiving the truth, affirming the truth in our minds. But it's not just that, right? There are those who have an intellectual acquaintance with the notions of the Christian religion, who know something about who Christ is, as revealed in the Bible, know something about what the gospel teaches. But those can be truths that are merely flitting about in the brain. No, in order to hold fast, you must love it. You must love it with your heart. Not just know it, you must know it. But in knowing it, you are brought to actually love it. There's no clinging to the profession of our faith with merely holding it by the fingertips of our our brain, intellectual notions. But there has to be Pathos. There has to be love for all that belongs to Christ and to His Word, clinging to the testimony of our our faith, and to do so without being baffled, uh, without letting go, without wavering, as as the passage tells us. And so we're to hold fast. We're to cling to it, and we're that that's set in the context here in Hebrews of all sorts of opposition, it's one thing to hold a piece of paper in your hand, sitting in your room on a stable chair and so on and so forth, no problem, easy, easy to do. But what if you're trying to hold on something that's awkward to handle and you're doing so in the midst of torrential downpour and with gales and high winds and people pushing and shoving you and things in your path that you're gonna trip over and so on and so forth, very different picture. The context for Hebrews, this call to perseverance, this call to faith, is set in the context of a lot of opposition. Opposition that comes from within your own self, and opposition from outside of you as well. Right? It is holding fast to the profession of your faith against persecution. When there's a price tag for actually holding fast. When it's going to cost you something. When you have to suffer for it. Right In the context of persecution, it means holding fast in the midst of a barrage of false teaching. People who stop saying the things the Bible says. And then start trying to put new spin and adjustments on what the Bible says. As well as flagrantly disregarding or teaching the opposite of what the Bible says. Holding fast in the midst of that barrage of, of false teaching is important. It means holding fast amidst the lure of the world when it is incredibly unpopular, when it is deemed old fashioned and out of date and irrelevant in the the present age to hold fast to the profession of our faith. There and then we must be holding fast. And when the world is luring with all sorts of attractions and and, and, and and strutting about on the on the stage of, of time with all of the enticements to, to come away to those things rather than to holding fast to the profession of faith that the Lord has has given to us. Right? It's in the context of that. You'll remember how often this, this sort of thing comes up. One example would be in second Peter in chapter two, where it says in verse twenty we are to hold fast in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of danger, right? This, this is something that requires supernatural strength. It's not uh, an idle walk in the park. It is something that requires exertion and diligence and watchfulness. It means not just holding fast for a little bit and intermittently, but a constant adherence to the profession of faith that we have in the, in the Holy Scriptures, a constant endurance in the things that God has, has committed to us. And here's the reality it was true in Paul's day, it's been true in every era since. I mean, you, you read the 17th century, you think of the Second Reformation, wonderful days, great works of God being done in the earth. And yet you read the literature, you read the, the sermons. That the, the, the Scottish Presbyterians were preaching and the English Puritans were preaching and so on. And they were battling this very thing themselves. Right? It is something that is a constant need for us. There are many, many, many who profess the true religion, who may even make profession of, of saving faith in in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who throw in the towel. <clears throat> this is commonplace. And it is a threat. And you know who's most in danger? Those of you who are sitting here this morning thinking that you have no danger. You are the ones most in danger. The ones who think this applies to everyone else or someone else, but not to me. You're in the most precarious place of everyone. The Lord gave you this word for a reason. You're to receive it with faith. You're to believe it. And you are to act upon it. Or you, like countless others, will be washed up on the shores of those who have long since let loose, let go of the profession of faith that the Lord has, has given. are Those who will, who, will, who will profess some adherence to the Christian religion, but who have no appetite for the path of obedience. And so they, 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 they have an attachment externally. They're near the kingdom but they're not in the kingdom. And they, they're, they're not at all attracted to the highway of holiness, as Isaiah says, to the path of the redeemed, as he says, to this path of obedience. This is a word of warning to those whose hearts are tempted toward waywardness. Children, you're going to face this. Young people, you are facing it. And it is up close and personal. All of the pressures... Right? You have the things that you've heard preached in your ears, for the, many of you, the, the duration of your whole life. You've had parents who have taught you and prayed over you. You've had parents who have counseled you and guided you and so on and so forth. But then there's all sorts of other pressures. There's the pressures that come from your inside. That's enemy number one. Your fleshly inclinations that want something lighter and looser that say this is too much, too extreme, too heavy, too hard, too 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 old, too too not cool and contemporary or whatever else. And therefore I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to drift elsewhere. Right? That's the danger. There's all the pressures of the world that say, you know, you can still be a Christian and be normal in the world. And you can still have a large part of the world's way of thinking. You can adopt their mentality on this thing and that thing. You can, you can go along with them in terms of decisions on what to love and not love, what to do and not do, and so on and so forth. These are pressures. And the Lord is coming to you this morning, and he's saying, hold fast. Hold fast the profession of your faith. You have heard the gospel preached. Some of you are old, and you have heard the gospel preached again and again. Here is the faith that God sets before us in his holy word, and you have not ever laid hold of it. You're not even gripping it. You're looking at it. You're walking around it. You're thinking about it. You're pointing at it. You can talk about it, but you haven't laid hold of Christ as he is offered in the gospel. And children, you too can grow up, in this context and have a christian worldview and have a christian, you know, ethos and a christian identity and so on and so forth without ever your heart gripping Christ by faith. And the Lord is saying, no, no, we must lay hold of him. It is our attachment to him. It is persevering in our grip upon all that he is and all that he requires of us. The Lord says hold fast this profession of truth. That means all of his truth, right? All of the truths of God's word, the obvious ones and the less obvious ones, the big ones and the ones that are take further study to, to see, all of that truth is Christ's truth. Oh, that God by the Holy Spirit would pound this into our heads and hearts. Every bit of his truth is indeed Christ's truth. And so all of these ideas that, 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 that people have, and some of you are tempted with, to think, well, you know, there are some truths that are really important, and that's what counts. And then there's other truths, and yeah, okay, you know, some of that's in the Bible. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe what we say, and what we teach, what our confession teaches, what, you know, what we hear preached in the pulpit, and so, so on and so forth. Well, it could, be, it could be true, but there's this feeling that you can actually dispense of them. That, that you, can, you can pick and choose. That you can you know, determine for yourself what is significant and so on. This is absolutely abhorrent. Why? Because it is Christ's truth. It is not ours to give. It is not ours to dispose of. It's not ours to do anything with other than to receive it, believe it, lay hold of it, love it. And walk under its power. It's the truth of Jesus Christ himself. And you can't dispense with his truth. And then talk about some sort of warm fuzzies and attachment to his person. Those two things are incompatible. They're incompatible. You can't say, well, I love him, but I don't love what he says. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dispense with that. No, that's a lie. It's not true. And and these things begin with little steps, don't they? We've all seen it. They're little steps. The Lord has flung open the way, He says, Draw near to me, love me, lay hold of me. Hold fast to the profession of faith that's been given to you. And people take one step and they say, Well, I'm gonna go one step away from what the Lord teaches in his word. And then I'm gonna go another step that leads away. And they literally think, and perhaps it's you this morning, you're thinking in your own head, it's safe. I'm still close. I'm still fairly near, and I, this is all I'm doing. I'm just taking a few steps back from the truth that God has given to me in his word. This is the devil's way. All he wants to do is to persuade you to take one step. He's not persuade, he doesn't need to persuade you to jump off a cliff into some deep gorge. He just needs you to take one step, and then to take one more step. And then just just this one step, this one truth that you're going to give up, that you're going to let go of, that you're going to toss to the side. That's all that's necessary. But the fact is the Bible tells us and, and, and experience has shown us that though it begins with little steps, it never ends there, does it? It never stops. It keeps going and going and going. By degrees, over time, the drift, the current, takes one further and further and further and further from the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you can see this in young people and the, the decisions and, and, and things that they do and say, and sure enough, you know, they're, you thought they were only this far away, and then ah, they're farther away, and before you know it, it's like they're, they're way off, way off course. But you know what? The same thing happens to ministers. And we've seen this up close and personal. Ministers who swear in the fear of God, solemn vows to uphold doctrines and principles and practice that are taught in the scriptures. Who trample their consciences as they trample their vows and openly defying them, breaking them, Walking away from them. You think, well, this, this. At first, it looks like, well, they're still close to home. But those who know better, who have wisdom, know this is a train wreck that's being set up. It's a train wreck that's being set up. And sure enough, there they go. Another step and another step and another step and another step and another step. Until they're, they're, they're full speed downhill to a tragic, Christ-defying, God-dishonoring, soul-destroying, end we're not playing games we need to sit up and pay attention when the lord says hold fast we must let us hold fast the profession of our faith we must believe it we must receive it and by the grace of god we must do it this is a call to perseverance attachment to Christ's truth perseverance and preservation are inextricably connected to one another Right? We, we believe in the doctrine of divine preservation. That the, the truly regenerate person is kept by the power of God, in the words of Peter. Right? That he who began a work will complete it. That nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so on. We believe in God's sovereign grace. And the preservation of his grace in the soul of a believer. And we believe in Perseverance. The call, that is to say, the responsibility, the duty to persevere, to endure, to continue in the faith that the Lord has given to us. These are not mutually exclusive any more than Christ's divinity and, and humanity are exclusive, or law and gospel, or a whole host of other things. These two things are connected to one another. Yes, God keeps his people, and yes, they must continue by his grace to persevere. What happens when you detach these, right? You can detach them and you, 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 someone says preservation to the exclusion of perseverance. You end up there with hyper-Calvinism. You end up with a carnal security A person who says, look, um, um, I profess faith in Christ. I'm good to go. I can't lose my salvation. And they wouldn't say it this way, but I can live like the devil and I have the hope of heaven presumption right that's where it leads you but you can also detach preservation of perseverance and say okay we you're obligated to exert and diligence and watchfulness and uh, blood sweat and tears and persevering in, in the faith that the Lord has given to you to the exclusion of preservation what do you end up with legalism you end up with with legality and 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 unbelief and so on and so forth. These two things are held together in the Bible and they should be held together in our own hearts. Yes, Peter says, kept by God unto salvation. But he also, the Lord also says, keep your heart with all diligence, right? They go together. And so these things do go together. He says, without wavering. That's underlying the diligence, the watchfulness, right? The, the Lord preserves his people through means, And the means are indispensable. The means include this call to to persevere before him. You think of that example given in Acts 27, where Paul's on the boat with the the pagan sailors, the mariners, and uh, they're in a huge storm and it's looking like a nightmare and it is a nightmare. And Paul comes to them and he says, God has told me no one is going to be lost. So they have divine sovereignty. Boom, done, over. No one's going to die. But then they start doing stuff, right? They're going to jump out of the boat and all this other stuff. And he comes to them and says, no, you must stay in the boat. You jump out of the boat, you're gone. Right? You have both together, right? God's preservation and their requirement to, to persevere. The devil tempted our Lord in this area. The devil comes to our Lord and he quotes scripture. And he says, look, nothing, you know, you, you know not, the angels will, you know, bear you up you can chuck yourself off the precipice and you'll be fine because God's sovereign and he's promised, right? He's emphasizing the one to the exclusion of the other. Jesus silences him by quoting scripture to him, right? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God and so on. He won't hold him guiltless who tempts him. And so this is not something that is uncommon, this call to persevere without wavering. You look at the apostolic model and preaching, not just in their epistles, but book of Acts, you see it. Acts 11 verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Or Acts 13 verse 43, something similar where he says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews' rulers' proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of of God. Right, it comes out in the, in the epistles as well. First Thessalonians would be another example in chapter 3, verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. We could go on multiplying these sorts of examples. Attachment to Christ's truth. Attachment to Christ's truth. Right? We need his gospel. We need the whole counsel of God that he has given to us. We need to continue in all that the Bible has, has taught us and requires of us. Our situation is just as threatening as it has ever been in every other age. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, attachment to Christ's truth, he gives us encouragement, for he is faithful that promised for he is faithful that promised that makes all the difference in the world he is faithful even when we are unfaithful because he cannot deny himself the lord's faithfulness right we have a we have conviction regarding the reliability of the lord himself the certainty of his promise this this keeps us god centered in our in our focus We are holding fast to one who is holding on to us. And that is encouraging to us. He is faithful who promised. Who promised what? Well, in the immediate context, who promised eternal life. Right? Who promised entering into his rest, as we saw back in chapter four. Right? We we, we have the promise of the future of what the Lord has guaranteed for us what he will be and do for us and the eternal inheritance that he will give us all of these promises which are "yea" and amen in the lord jesus christ this is an encouragement because it underlines probably the most indispensable word in connection to these things and that is the word dependence we're to hold fast not in our own grit and strength but rather independence upon he who is faithful the one that is faithful was promised we live by grace we live independent depending upon the ministry of the holy spirit day by day drawing upon the resources of jesus christ depending on his grace and doing so with confidence because he he is indeed faithful who has promised so there's attachment to christ's truth Secondly, there's attachment to Christ's people. Verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So it begins with this word, and. These two things belong together. We need both of them. Attachment to Christ's truth and attachment to Christ's people. You know, you'll, you'll hear people talk about personalities. Well, there, you know, some people, they have... Um, they're more interested in principles and other people are more interested in people and so you got those who are kind of more studious and you have those who are more people people you know who are really good with people and so on and so forth and they're just different types of personalities and i'm not denying the fact that the lord you know puts people together in very different ways and there are people who are exceptionally gifted in their people skills you know and others who are exceptionally gifted in in in, in other ways but the bottom line is this, personality is sanctifiable. Whatever it is that God's given to us in terms of natural inclinations, gifts, abilities, uh, propensities, whatever else, whatever he's given us, it's sanctifiable. And there's, there's no such thing. You can't say, well, I'm more of a principle person or I'm more of a people person and therefore I don't have to worry about the other. No. You need attachment to Christ's truth and attachment to Christ's people both. And the fact is, perseverance is impossible in isolation. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. They're a myth. They don't exist. There are people who think that they can be a Lone Ranger Christian, who are completely deluded Perseverance is impossible in isolation. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ saves his people and saves them in order that they might be engraft into him and made members of a body. Let's chop your hand off and chuck it in, you know, the, the bush and see how well it does in isolation. It's gonna decay and rot and whatever else. It's useless. The member only functions within the body of which Christ Jesus himself is the head. To dismember the body and to isolate ourselves from the body is actually isolating ourselves from the head as well. It's right, repudiating the head. He's called us to be a body, brothers and sisters, a family in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact is that your brothers and sisters Cannot make it on their own any more than you can make it on your own. Which means that you have an obligation to take an active role in their spiritual growth. You have a place in part. Whatever place that is, whatever part that may be, it is an indispensable place and part in their ultimate spiritual profit, in their growth. The body loses with the loss of of any member. And so there there is, I mean, you can have the idea of, you know, you'll hear it, me and my Bible, right? The me and my Bible crowd. Sure, that exists, but it doesn't exist within biblical Christendom. Islam exists and Buddhism and all sorts of other things exist as well. Me and my Bible mentality exists doesn't exist within biblical Christendom. It's actually pride, right? To think that one can, can do and be all that one needs on their own. Really, isolation is always pride, proud. The pull to isolation is a pull in the direction of pride for a lot, a lot of reasons, not just because I'm good on my own, but for more reasons than that. So here the Lord tells us, uh, and let us consider... One another to provoke unto love and to good works. So to consider. So this is the idea of, of of concentration. Concentrate on one another. You know, diligently bear in mind your brethren constantly. This this involves conscientious care. It means actually feeling a measure of responsibility. That we have responsibility. With regards to these things. The Lord says we must do so. It doesn't say consider how to love each other and do good deeds. It doesn't say consider how to love your, each other and do good deeds. That would be good. And The Bible does say that elsewhere. But it says. Consider how to stimulate them, to provoke them, to stir them up to love and good deeds. And this is something really the Bible comes back to again and again. Right? This, this is, there's no wiggle room here. This requires tangible, concrete action that is observable in your life and in your actions right? It's something that is concrete. Consider. So, in other words, consider means you have to be, first of all, you have to be looking at one another. You can't be staring at your own two feet. You need to be looking at one another. You need to be studying one another. You need to focus your attention. You need to think about one another. In a sense, you need to meditate on on, on one another. In other words, to ponder, to mull over in your in your mind. So, I say all of that to say this is something deliberate, right? This is something concentrated. This is a choice that's being made to focus one's attention. This is what God's call to you, to take the time to strategize on how best to stimulate those around you to greater godliness, which is... And Among other things, it's a call to stop thinking about your own sanctification exclusively all the time and to start thinking about being an encouragement to someone else and a help and comfort to their consolation. That's what it's calling us to. He says where to consider one another. To, the aim is to stir them up. The aim is their perseverance. The aim is to give a little fuel in their tank a little encouragement a little wind in their sails and their own perseverance to the end that there would be the fruit of perseverance which is love and and good works to stir them up to love and good works right love to christ loved to god's law love to god's people love to god's word to to do and be things that will inflame their affections. That will strengthen their longing for godly living. Right? What are good works? Good works are fruitfulness. The fruitfulness of, of grace. Good works are things that are internal. Character. Uh, uh, your, your disposition. Your life. Your demeanor. As well as outward things like your speech. Those are good works, not just your deeds in terms of acts of service. Those are included as well, but all fruitfulness that redounds to the glory of God. And so your goal is to do everything you can, depending upon Christ, to make everyone else maximally fruitful, as fruitful as is, is possible. No Christian liveth to himself. Now, at times, this means knowing when to be quiet. So there are times when being quiet is the right thing. Right? There has to be thoughtfulness, strategic. It's not awkwardness where you're trying to create something that's incredibly unnatural and doesn't work at all. Right? It's, it's rather skillfulness in when we say things what we say, when we don't say things, what we do, ways that we can be supportive, ways that, that, that actually leave the person edified, not beaten down and kind of weakened, but rather built up and, and strengthened. At times that means giving a soft answer in order to, in order to stir them up to, to love and to good deeds. This whole idea of provoking to love and good deeds. You think of um, children, think of a glass of water pastor, would to set a glass of water on the pulpit here and you just let it sit there, it'll settle out, right? It'll be like a flat sheet on the top. It'll look like just a, a flat surface on the top. It's idle. There's apathy. There's, it's inactive, right? You need to take your spoon and then you begin to stir it up and the water gets all stirred up. Right? That's the picture that's being given to provoke, to love and to, to good works. This is, this is what the Lord is, is calling us to and so it includes the mouth. You know, your, your brothers and sisters need your mouth because iron sharpens iron. Words of, of, of comfort and consolation. You know, the fact is, you know, we read from Ephesians 4. There it speaks about how the, all the members and, and, and so on are compactly you know, joined together and they're built up together in the maturity of a whole man in Christ Jesus and so on. And you have the description of that mutual ministry of the members right tendons and ligaments and muscle and bone and joints and blood vessels and nerves all that stuff is a bundle that's that's tied together working together for maturity so much of the the work in in uh, of of edifying work in the church belongs to the members of the body right if we if we were inclined toward prelacy, which we defy and repudiate entirely, you might say, well, it's the minister's job, or it's the elder's job exclusively to make sure everybody's built up. But that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a, tr- a lot of labor that takes place for the sincere benefit, the bounty, the blessing of the Lord's people among themselves. The Lord's people encouraging one another giving comfort to one another, you know, helping one another with things that you're struggling with and counsel and wisdom and joint, you know, sharing from secondhand experience and speaking about the things that we're learning and so on and so forth. All of these things are indispensable for for the believer. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, well, I don't have anything to offer. Or you think to yourself, I'm, not, I'm shy or I'm not good you know, with, with people. You know, I don't, I don't have much to, to say or I'm not as far along or whatever else. Are you a Christian? That's the question. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're a member of the body. And if you're a Christian, you're qualified to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. Sure, you're not, you don't have the depths that you will have if God spares you in 40 years. But you can say, This is what the Lord spoke to me in a sermon recently. It was so helpful. You have no idea. Or this is what I was reading recently, and this is what the Lord taught me. You have no idea. That may be the very thing that lights, like a, that may illuminate the, your brother or sister's heart and minds. What you never thought, simple thing, but it was a word in season. It was exactly what they needed. It gave them so much encouragement and comfort or help or direction or a spur to. To, to follow on with, with the Lord and so on. Right? These are things we have to be constantly analyzing and reanalyzing. Every day is new. Circumstances change. People change. Needs change. All of those sorts of things change. You know, is a person going through trials? Are they worn out and beaten down? Are they, you know, are they in the midst of having decisions that are super crucial? Or is it more bread and butter season for them? Where are they? And and what can I possibly do to be of of help to them, right? It means studying carefully their trials, their temptations, their needs, their infirmities, and so on and so forth. And it means cultivating an atmosphere of, of of spiritual conversation, right? We need to know one another, where you work and what's going on in life, and all that's normal. To ignore all of that entirely would be abnormal, right? We're invested in one another. We want to know what's, what's happening in one another's lives, but spiritual conversation should be The creme de la creme. It should be the thing that holds everything else together. It should be what is top. It is the sweetest. It is the best. And it is what should be most profuse. On the Lord's Day, of course, the whole day is to be given to that. But even in our our conversations, we need a spiritual mind to have a spiritual mouth. If you're not thinking spiritually, if you're not spiritually minded, you'll never be apt at spiritual conversation. We need to fix the heart and the head in order to fix the mouth. But that needs to be cultivated, right? You, you know, I mean, most of you will know, you know, in our own, own circles, like in Scotland and the Highlands, they had the fellowship meeting. They still have the fellowship meeting, which in Scotland means something very specific, right? You have a fellowship meeting. People are getting together informally at someone's house for the purpose of spiritual conversation. And so they get together, and it might be the minister's there, elder there, some mature Christian's there. Often they'll put out a question. All right, here's a question for discussion. And it's not polemical-type questions or abstract-type questions. It's usually questions about something related to Christian experience or something related to a text. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? You know, what, what what do we think about this? Or here's a text, you know, why did Jesus say, don't touch me to Mary? You know, what was happening there? Or it might be something with regards to, you know, other occasions it could be sermon discussion. What did you get out of the sermon? Here are things that the Lord spoke to me in and so on. And different things stood out to different people. Everybody gets greater yield in hearing it. But you, you see the point. I mean, there, there's a, de- a deliberate, conscientious decision built into the fabric of the Christian church where spiritual mindedness and conversation is being cultivated. It makes it easier then in one-on-ones and two-on-twos to be Skilled in talking about the things of the Lord. That's what Malachi 3 is all about. Right? That's why we read Malachi 3. You got a point you, know, the church is in a terrible spot. I mean, you read that chapter, terrible, terrible. And then those who feared the Lord spoke oft with one another. And the Lord heard, he hearkened. The Lord from heaven saw the remnant of his people, spiritually exercising themselves in their conversations. And he said, ah, I will remember this. Because the day that I, on the last day, when I go to make up my jewels, they will be among them. Delights the Lord, glorifies the Lord, it pleases the Lord. Right, so the Lord's calling us to also be an attachment to Christ's people as well. Now let me cut, cut you off at the pass if you're inclined this way. Some of you will be thinking to yourself, well, preach it. You know, preach it, Pastor, preach it. These people need to give to me. I need help. You know, they need to be helping me more. I need, I need all hands on deck. Everybody needs to be here, you know, pouring into my life and so on and so forth. You know, people, the Lord's telling them, I hope they're listening because the Lord's telling them, they owe me all these things. And so I hope they're, they're paying attention to it. Right. So if that's your reaction or if you're entertaining or attempting that, kill it on the spot. That is the plague of hell that is coming, knocking on your door, right? That is death. What this passage is saying is the reverse. So if we draw that conclusion, we have actually twisted scripture in turning it upside down, inverting it entirely. This passage is a call to kill your own selfish inclinations. This passage is a call to die to self, Rather than pandering oneself and pitying oneself and all of that sort of thing, laying the gospel sword to that in order that you give to others. You're looking at them, not at yourself. You're studying and considering your brethren and how you can burn out and be completely wasted in the service of their souls, in the service of of their good. You're more concerned about their interests then you are your interest, to bless them, to be of an encouragement to them. In the midst of all, they're struggling, they have falls, your brethren have struggles, they, they trip and bang their head spiritually. They need help as well. And so we're to be giving and spending and being spent for others. And of course, in the Lord's remarkable and mysterious way, we end up getting a thousand times more when we give than we would if we were trying to get. The key is that we, we find our joy in producing joy in others. So that when I'm going and investing and serving and loving, and I feel tired and I'm worn out and I don't have much in the tank, but you know what? I'm just lay the die to self and pour yourself out for this person. But when you see the Lord producing joy in them, you derive joy from their joy. Right? So you receive joy from from producing joy in, in others. This is what the Lord's calling us to. We need attachment to Christ's truth. We need attachment to Christ's people. Both of these are indispensable. You can't come this morning and take one and leave the other right, you have to have both. You have to have both because having both is connected to having Christ, right? It's really an attachment to him, an infatuation with him, an overwhelming love for him, a devotion to him. And where that is found, what flows from it will be attachment to his truth and attachment to his people. May the Lord grant us help. Let's stand for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, our Lord and our God, look with pity upon us. We are a weak, broken, frail people, and we have no grip. Lord, there is no strength whatsoever in ourselves. We confess, O Lord, that without Christ we can do nothing, but that through Christ we can do all things who strengthens us. O Lord, be our strength. Grant that our eyes will be glued to the one who is faithful, who has promised. Enable us to live depending constantly upon thy grace. And O Lord, in keeping us, enable us to keep and to hold fast the truth and to hold fast to our brethren, all for the glory of the one whom we profess to love and serve we ask it in his precious name